Howdy! My name is Thomas McPhee, and you're listening to The STEM. The STEM is a music podcast where I talk about my thoughts and feelings on whatever happens to make its way into my musical rotation each month. This episode, I'll be doing something a little different. Rather than dedicating a whole episode to a single album, I'll instead be reviewing 10 singles from 10 upcoming album releases this summer. These are albums I'm excited for in one way or another, or are by artists that, even if I don't listen to them, I appreciate their work and their popularity among others. There's a wide range of different styles and genres here, from metal and hard rock to pop and folk music, so be prepared for some wildly different styles. Also, due to these all being singles and having a lot of content to get through very quickly, I'm going to avoid using any clips or samples as all of these songs are available to listen for free via YouTube. First up is Now or Never by Halsey from her upcoming album Hopeless Fountain Kingdom. Halsey is an alternative pop singer known for a more moody touch and for her frank discussions of both her biracial and bisexual identities, as well as lyrics that feature explicit descriptions of her struggles with mental health. Her debut album, Badlands, came out in 2015, and is an enjoyable pop album that succeeds due to its generally more sparse and stripped-down production, creating atmospheres more than beats. The focus throughout the album is Halsey's melodies and vocal performance, and that seems to be the case on the new album if this single is any indication. The production here is barely existent, mostly focused on a repeated loop of Halsey singing Hey, with sharp staccato electric drum hits to keep time. This is a surprising lead single in that it has almost no real substance to it. The lyrics are minimal and repetitive, and the melody is the same. There's a vague story here about a long-distance relationship that is flagging, where Halsey's partner must make the choice to truly commit now or never, but she sings it so quickly that it can be hard to follow the narrative thread. This is a song that is much more about the emotional palette or the soundscape it creates than any of the individual pieces, which is fine, but it feels like the kind of song that needs to be contextualized within the album it sits in. It's going to be the sixth song on the album when it's released, which makes sense and seems a decent place for it to fit, but I really don't understand why this was put out as the lead single. It reminds me in a way of the song Drive from Badlands, but Drive had multiple different production elements going on in it as well as moments where the song stopped for various sound effects of a car driving or passengers getting in and out of said car, and it helped create context within the song itself and provide substance. This song is, sadly, bland on its own and tells me nothing of what the album is likely to sound like. I'm still excited for the album as I think she's a good artist, but she's clearly chosen a poor lead single. Hopeless Fountain Kingdom comes out June 2nd. Next is The Butcher's Boy by the Kronos Quartet from their upcoming album, Folk Songs. The Kronos Quartet are one of the longest standing and one of the more prolific classical groups that I've ever heard of, and their work spans across a variety of different composers and genres. I first got into their work via their collaborations with Clint Mansell for many of Darren Aronofsky's film soundtracks, and there is something about the quartet's sound that has always appealed to me. They often create dark and saddening musical palettes and gravitate towards projects with similar atmospheres, as well as some pretty experimental and weird stuff as well. Folk Songs is going to be a highly collaborative album, with each song featuring a well-known singer to sing, and the title suggests a folk song, with the quartet providing the instrumentation. 
It's worth noting that the album will feature three songs sung by Rhiannon Giddens of the Carolina Chocolate Drops fame, and that has made me beyond excited for the album. The song The Butcher's Boy, sung by Natalie Merchant, is an exceptional lead single, and is perfect in its dark simplicity. It tells the story of a London woman who loves the local butcher boy, but is spurned by him as he leaves her for a richer woman. The ending of the song is lyrically ambiguous to me, as she sings about how hurt she is that she must be, quote, bound while he goes free, and then ends describing her grave, which should be marked by a snow-white dove to show the world I died for love. While it's possible that her description of being bound is simply a reference to her love for him, the jump in the next verse to her death being for love seems a little non-linear. It's possible that the singer chooses to kill or severely injure the other woman, is arrested, bound, and then is killed for her crime, so literally dies for her love, though I admit that's a pretty extreme and somewhat far-fetched reading of the lyrics. The orchestration here is pretty slow and pretty sparse, with subtle changes and very small solos throughout, but it creates the lovely atmosphere of a lullaby of sorts, which has an interesting juxtaposition with the darkness of the song and the bleakness of the chords and atmosphere. This song has me beyond excited imagining what the full album will sound like, and I myself want to take a crack at singing this song given how infectious and beautifully performed it is here. Folk Songs comes out June 9th. Now we come to Green Light by Lord from her upcoming album Melodrama. Lord is a New Zealand pop singer probably best known for her song Royals, a heavily minimalistic and catchy pop hit that, in trying to say something interesting about materialism and capitalism and pop culture, just comes off as pretentious and also clearly shows little regard or care for the history of hip-hop music and hip-hop culture and its development. In case you haven't guessed by now, this is one of the albums I'm not personally excited for, but Lord is a big enough artist that I figured I'd give this single and the album a try, and I promised to try and tackle it all fairly. Greenlight opens with a description of her discussing putting on her makeup in someone else's car and ordering different drinks at the same bars, and it feels like a lyric that's specifically written for people who understand the experiences she's talking about. It feels like there's an inside joke or a cultural reference that I'm just plain missing because I don't get why it matters that she's doing these things. The song goes on to be about her relationship with a potential partner who she has kissed on the light-up floor and how she's just waiting for the green light to take the relationship to the next level and commit to it. The production is largely made up of a repetitive keyboard line with pulse and bass beats and a bright and colorful dance-pop makeup. There's some nice layering and structuring of the production and the different musical elements here, and there's some cool synth lines that enter in the last 40 seconds of the song that I wish had been prevalent earlier as they add some nice texture to the song. Lord's voice is reaching into its bassiest and scratchiest reaches, and it adds a little character and flavor to the delivery, though honestly the whole song sounds a lot like a rehash of I Love It by Icona Pop and Charlie XCX. It's a fun and simple song, but nothing here truly grabs me or makes me stop and think. For a dance pop track, it doesn't even make me want to dance all that much. There's nothing here I actively dislike, there's just not much I like either. We'll see if the album has more to offer when it comes out on June 16th. How Did We Get So Dark is the upcoming second album from English rockers Royal Blood, and it leads with the single Lights Out. 
Royal blood live in a somewhat nebulous musical space between many different kinds of rock, blending elements of grunge, punk, garage, and heavy rock together to create something that really growls and thumps without drifting into metal territory in a way that might put off potential listeners. Lights Out opens with the fuzzy and driving guitar and bass lines that the band are known for. It's fat and thick while still being controlled and somewhat sparse, every element precise in its timing and function. The verses have a pretty simple backing to them, which then changes slightly and brings in some more vocal lines on the choruses. The lyrics here discuss drug use and love, discussing eyes burning red and the need to turn the lights out and forget a lover that the singer can no longer have. It's somewhat obscure lyricism that leaves a lot of room for interpretation, but also leaves something to be desired. I also found that the song seemed a little too restrained and simple when compared to their debut album. This felt almost too polished, too controlled, at least until the final 20 seconds or so when I wanted them to push their fuzzy dissident formula more than they did before. It's a very safe, simple track, but it felt like a step backward for the band. We'll find out whether the whole album took that step back when it comes out on June 16th. Bryson Tiller is a hip-hop R&B artist that exists somewhere between Drake and The Weeknd sonically, with a more down-to-earth and reserved lyricism and a heavier focus on singing over rapping, though he does his fair share of straight rapping on his debut album, Trap Soul. His second album, True to Self, is being led by the single Something Tells Me, which is a laid-back and sparse ballad about a relationship that has grown icy and how it slowly devolves and comes to an end. The production is very simple, featuring electronic claps, snaps, and a shrill hi-hat with some minimal synth swirls every now and again. The focus here is sharply on Tiller's vocals and his lyrics. While the vocal performance is melodic and easy to listen to and enjoy, the lyrics themselves are hard to parse and not the most inspired I've heard from him. It's nowhere near as strong as some of his work on Trap Soul, but it's only showing the softer singer side of him, and it's possible that this song may serve as a useful transition between more two more engaging rapped tracks when it comes to the album. Again, not a bad track, just not inspiring and not much to say about it. True to Self comes out on June 23rd. Oh, Corey Taylor. Are you even sure what you're doing anymore? This isn't meant as too disparaging as a dig, as I'll gladly, though slightly embarrassedly, admit that I listen to and have enjoyed Slipknot and Stone Sour's music more than I feel like I should. But where I always saw Stone Sour as the more radio-friendly rock band and Slipknot as the ridiculous hardcore metal band, those distinctions have begun to blur a lot more lately. Stone Sour haven't put on scary masks or begun to sing about the devil worship and murder just yet, but in terms of musical quality, it's much harder to tell the two apart, with the major difference usually being just how many goddamn different percussion instruments you can hear on any given song. This trend seems to be continuing on their new album, Hydrograd, which has the single Fabulous, spelled F-A-B-U-L-E-S-S. The song immediately opens with some hard, fuzzy guitar shreds and some intense snare hits before Corey shout-screams, Oh yeah! in a way that immediately makes me think of Slipknot and his more metallic ventures. He then descends into a thinner, more whispering-sung melody for the verse that just feels plain creepy before he moves into his guttural, low-register growls before beginning his scream-shout chorus. Even the harmonic backing on some of the singing just sounds like things I heard two years ago on the last Slipknot album. 
It's not a bad thing, per se, especially since I actually really liked that Slipknot album, but I was just really taken aback by how much Corey seems to be living in that musical space instead of some of the moments of levity or alternative that existed on some of Stone Sour's previous works. Even the lyrics reference to been a long time since I rock and roll, though I can't tell if that's ironic or what exactly. The rest of the lyrics are kind of a jumbled mess of slut-shaming, lists of opposite pairs, and the confession that I guess it's good to be the enemy. I think there's a narrative here about a failed relationship or something, and how he's been positioned as the enemy by his ex-partner, but I'm using the term narrative very loosely here. Overall, though, the song rocks hard and is enjoyable for a few listens before you think too much about how similar this sounds to a Slipknot song you've heard before, and then you get caught in artistic existential spirals. Or maybe that's just me. Hydrograd comes out on June 30th. In This Moment are a somewhat tricky band to classify, as they exist in some of the more blurry spaces between hard rock, metal, and pop metal, and they have moved around a lot over the course of their career. In their current iteration, they are certainly pretty accessible, mostly focusing on sung vocals rather than harsh screams, but they also feature a much heavier instrumentation and composition than the average rock band. Their 2012 album, Blood, was my introduction to the band, and there's something about that album that still sticks with me. Their 2014 release, Black Widow, didn't seem to capture the same energy, and at first I was quite dismissive of it, though having gone back and given it a few re-listens, it's not a bad effort, just somewhat predictable and non-adventurous. This brings us to their newest album, Ritual, which is being led by the single Oh Lord. While the song sits pretty squarely in hard rock instead of metal, it's an inventive and interesting song for the band, focusing on a more chant-based or ritualistic vocal melody and delivery. The instrumentation is relatively laid back for them and features an interesting conga-esque sounding drum pattern in place of much of the main percussion. There's also some great guitar shreds throughout that help to mimic the sounds of a crowd of followers, giving call and response to the main vocal line. The lyrics here focus on the idea of the singer needing to be baptized or purified and saved by God, for she has been, quote, laying with the devil. Satanism and adjacent topics are pretty standard fare for in this moment, but this song captures a lot of those ideas in a more compelling and engaging way, and it all coalesces into an effective and highly listenable track that I imagine is a strong indicator of good things to come from this album. Ritual comes out July 21st. Next, we come to the Midwestern indie rockers The National, who I came to much later than everyone else I know. I know some of the most devout national fans, as well as many folks who are massively embittered to them. I'd like to think I sit in the middle and that enjoy some of their stuff, but I certainly wouldn't claim them as my favorite band, or even really re-listen to most of their discography, High Violet being the notable exception. That album is always worth listening to. They are, however, important to me, as they're one of the bands I listened to a lot during my time in college, and I'm excited to discuss this new album, Sleep Well Beast, with many of my friends from that time. The lead single is This System Only Dreams in Total Darkness, which totally earns them some pretty big pretension points right off the bat. The song opens with this sung-hummed vocal melody that sounds sort of like a Mogan Heap, if you squint, before the keyboards and drums kick in and reassert familiar national sounds, but with some extra intensity added. The main guitar line in the song is pretty odd, based around this almost offbeat staccato rhythm that simply repeats a six-note 
pattern over and over. There's a lot here that sounds like the National, and a lot that really seems to push the band forward and outward from their core competency, which, in my opinion, is a good thing. Their most recent album was very lackluster to me, as it was too cheery, melodic, and simple, not offering anything to engage with or discuss. This song, however, immediately throws that off the bat, with a quite exceptional and surprising guitar solo, and a stronger reliance on both electronic and orchestral instrumentation. It seems like they went back to something more like the aforementioned High Violet when they began planning this album, which in my mind is amazing. Lyrically, I... I can't really begin to put together what is being sung about here, but that's not really necessarily new for the band, as they typically put together pretty cryptic or metaphorical lyrics. It's ironic and amusing, then, that the chorus for the song says this, I cannot explain it any other, any other way. It's a compelling and slightly mystifying single, and I'm very excited for the album, and to see whether some of the growth and experimentation shown by the single extends to the rest of the album. Sleep Well Beast is available September 8th. If The National are a long-standing and well-known indie rock staple, then the same can certainly be said of Fall Out Boy for pop, punk, emo rock, aka bands that got my generation through middle school. They've released two albums since their reunion, one of which was pretty good, and the most recent of which was kinda mediocre, so when I heard that they were back at it again, it was with some trepidation that I listened to the lead single, and I'm glad to say that I was mostly impressed. The album title begins The Weirdness, as it's titled Mania, but stylized with weird spacing between some of the, some of the letters, but not others. The single is called Young and Menace, and the single is certainly menacing in the way that it pushes the band in a pretty new direction. This song is sitting squarely on the electro-pop end of the rock spectrum with very minimal acoustic instruments and heavy vocal distortion and sampling. While the band has certainly never shied away from using synth and samples in their work, it always felt in service of the band's core rock band instrumentation. Here, however, there's barely even a minute's worth of non-electronic guitar or drum work across the whole song, instead opting for loud and ricocheting electronic bass drum hits and synth swirls and whines, as well as the constant sampling and pitch shifting of the singer's vocals through the entire song. Lyrically, the song seems somewhat autobiographical for the band, discussing wanting to slow down their pace and focus in, and on how the band wasn't expected to last half as long as it did. The latter part of the song focuses somewhat on mental health, with the line, I'm just here for the psych assessment, which, while I understand that the main songwriter for the band, Pete Wentz, has manic depression, the line just feels a little weird and out of place to me. I don't think it's a terrible lyric, it's just always a line that I don't ever expect to happen, and then it always catches me out when it does. The whole song, though, is full of surprises and bizarre moments that I never would have thought the band would be capable of, and it's incredibly exciting to see them transition into a new phase of their career. Mania is available September 15th. Lastly, we come to Her, an internet sensation whose identity has been shrouded in mystery since she first released her debut sultry R&B EP, Her. If all this is making you think of early The Weeknd, a la House of Balloons, then you're absolutely spot on, as the first EP was sultry, sexy, and sparse in a magnetizing and lovely way. Now she's back with her volume 2 and its leading single, Say It Again. The song is dark, haunting, and enticing, backed with a wonderfully sparse and simple backing of occasional 808-style snare hits and bass drum quick hits, along with a fuzzy and wavy synth background that doesn't try to create a melody as much as just a harmonic atmosphere of where the song is living. 
Hers vocals are low in her register and full, providing almost a warmth to the darkness of the song. Lyrically, she speaks to an immediate desire to drop what her and her partner are doing and go to the bedroom. My favorite invocation being, no more talking, you can use that mouth in other ways because I want it now. <laughs> the track's only major fault is how short it is, which is a shame given how much I enjoy this song and willingly would listen to it over and over and over again on repeat. When I began putting together this episode, Her Volume 2 was available to pre-order on iTunes and had, I think, an early June release date. But now that pre-order has disappeared, so I'm uncertain on what the release date is, but expect it probably early summer. Thank you all for listening to another episode and indulging me in something a little unusual. You can reach me on Twitter, Tumblr, and Gmail, all at The STEM Podcast. If you have any comments, angry, happy, or otherwise, feel free to send those along. You can also find The STEM on iTunes. Search for The STEM Podcast to find me, and if you can, please subscribe on iTunes and leave a rating if you like the podcast. The theme music for the show was Cash Rules by Ari De Niro, which is available from Needle Drop Co. I'll be back next month with another episode, but until then, you've been listening to The STEM. <laughs>